Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Thank you so much to Projector for sponsoring today's episode. Erica, how often would you say I was complaining about wishing that I had some sort of a designy Instagram template for stories for promoting the podcast at least weekly. And, and I would be like, totally that that's a good idea. <laughs> and you would be like, why don't you ask so-and-so how they're doing it? And I would be like, totally. And then instead of doing that, I would just complain again. Um, but a week later, but a week later, <laughs> but, but I would wait a week. I would give you some time. And the thing is that this moment has been such a win for us because Projector approached us about a partnership and we were like, yes, let us look into this and see if this is something like that would make sense for us to partner with. And I came back to you and was like, did you see? This it's is the, the answer to the question. They this is the thing we've us. been looking for. So not only did they deliver us a solution, but also like a wonderful partnership. We are so excited to tell you all about Projector. It is a new collaborative graphic design platform for visual storytelling. It is so impressive. It is so intuitive for someone like me who absolutely refuses to read directions, even when it would be the obvious thing to do. So we have all seen how the expectation these days is that everything has to be beautifully designed. You're like scrolling on Instagram and seeing these super polished graphics. You open your inbox to a perfectly designed newsletter. You watch a beautiful presentation on Zoom and it's like, how did they make this deck look so good? And then it comes time for you to promote your business or podcast or your inst- on Instagram or email your customers or give a presentation and you're like, what do I do? Where do I begin? Should I just make it ugly on purpose? Which is often my default. <laughs> I just get so frustrated and I'm like, I'm just going to make it clear that I didn't try at all. And that way nobody so that no can one judge holds me. me to yes, any standards. Exactly. Which is like not where I want to be in life, but it gets really daunting. And I, Listen, so, I know. <laughs> I'm just so excited by Projector because it's not all daunting and it is exactly the solution that I have been endlessly complaining about needing. So Projector is making it easier for more people to connect with their audience through modern multimedia design. Whether you're running an Instagram channel for a brand, trying to launch a creative side hustle, creating a proposal deck, or looking to spruce up your own portfolio and feed, Projector can help you turn your ideas into beautiful visual stories that help you stand out on every channel, even without a design background. It's basically, this is like the biggest compliment we can give any technology more or less. It's basically Google Docs for design. You can collaborate on designs with other people in real time. If you need to get someone's eyes on something, you just share a quick link for them to pop in, leave comments and do their thing. Some of our other favorite features include a library of professionally designed curated templates for social stories, posts, email banners, presentations, and print designs, and even digital designs so that you can like 
see what other people are doing and take inspiration from that. You don't have to have an, a kernel of an idea in your head already. Which is truly it is wonderful. Free. It yes, is free. It's totally wonderful. free. It's free. Free to sign up, free to use. Give it a try today at projector.com slash a thing or two and make something cool. That's projector.com slash a thing or two. Be sure to use our unique code so that they know that we sent you. One more time, that's projector.com slash a thing or two. Thank you so much for sponsoring the brands that help us make this show possible by using our unique links and codes. Hi there. We wanted to take a second before we get into this episode to thank you for listening. We really, really love getting to do this show and your support, whether it's by subscribing, leaving us a review or supporting our advertisers is what makes it possible. We are ridiculously grateful. And I'm sorry that I'm going to do a whole like people are asking influencer energy thing here, but sometimes people do in fact ask us if there are other ways that they can support us. And the answer is yes. Um, Our secret menu membership program is a once weekly members only newsletter that costs four bucks a month and your first month's fee goes straight to charity. We cover all sorts of topics. We're talking shopping, gifting, food, entertainment, even advice, and of course, snacks. You can sign up for it all at a thing or two hq.com to start receiving it. And you'll even get access to all the back issues you missed. And if you've made it this far without subscribing to our free Monday newsletter, well, what are you doing? Go ahead and rectify that also at a thing or two hq.com. If all of that sounds like too much effort, we get it. Maybe just take 15 seconds to go smash some stars for us in the rating section of Apple Podcasts. That helps a ton, truly. Thank you. Now on to the show. Hello, and welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more where this came from and want to support us in general, head to athingortwohq.com and sign up for Secret Menu, which will get you weekly access to members-only content. To share your thoughts on this episode or anything at all, leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463 or DM us on Instagram at athingortwohq. And as a reminder, we offer free ad reads to Black-owned businesses. So hit us up at podcast at a thing or two hq.com. We want to start by talking about something that um, I was wondering if you were ever going to share on the podcast because it's like, you're sort of <laughs> embarrassed about it, but let's talk about it. I am a little ashamed and I wasn't, I wouldn't have wanted to discuss it if not for um, its newsiness, it's for, for something that happened that we'll talk about. So... <laughs> I am in the midst of the Whole30 program, which is an elimination diet. And I... Part- do you think people don't know what this is? Do you think there are listeners who are like, Whole30, never heard? I mean, I, I guess you know Thomas Helner, who knows now? And Barbara Mazur, my mother, would really? never know. Well, of course, she knows because I told, I've told her about it. Yeah. But otherwise, she, I don't think she would have huh. known what it was. Okay, okay, okay. So there's a couple of things like why I'm not so excited to talk about it. First is just doing a faddish diet period and struggling with the tension of being like, well, I'm really doing it for my overall health and just because I want to find out what my migraine triggers are, but like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, actually, mm -hmm. I just want to lose weight or, you know Mm -hmm, what I mean? Which is all of these things are true, but I'm also conscious of like the stories I tell myself because I don't want to tell myself that I'm doing a diet to lose weight in January. Um, Right, 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 right. I'm not doing this just to lose weight. I am doing it for other stuff, but like, I don't know. I just, I think it becomes a slippery slope. So there's that period. And like, I am doing it because I have for a really long time felt like I should do an elimination diet as a way of figuring out anything I can figure out about my migraine triggers. But Chris was also willing to do it. We'd both been eating like absolute crap for a while. And I was like, okay, this... And also, 
I thought the only time I'm ever going to successfully do an elimination diet is in the midst of a pandemic when I'm not going out to restaurants and I'm not social. When you're like cooking all your meals. Yeah. This is my one opportunity. And some friends of ours had done the whole 30 and uh, were really enthusiastic about it. And they said that they would do it too. You know, not that we're seeing them obviously, but having a a group text about this is a helpful, (laughs) helpful way to go about it. And I started reading up on it and it just seemed to me like the science behind it is like sort of specious. It's, and, and people are very critical of, of the nutrition, the nutrition claims that it makes. Yeah. And so that was my first thing of like, I, I don't think, I'm like not super psyched and proud to advertise that I want to do this thing, but it was the one that Chris was willing to do because it's very much like eat all the meat you want. So it was like, okay, I guess we're doing this. But there's also the fact that like as a brand, Whole30 does not speak to me at all. Totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's just like the it, color story, the yeah, fonts, exactly. And it's like, yeah. and like even just beyond the aesthetics, honestly, and like, yes, the aesthetics do not speak to me at all, but it's just like their, their voice, their approach, their their whole vibe. It's, it's like got big CrossFit the energy whole 30 whole thing. Yeah. The whole 30 whole thing. It feels very aggressive. It feels very CrossFit. It feels very power mm. lifter. Like mm, it just, mm, mm. it's not my vibe at all. But again, this was the one Chris was willing to do. I knew I couldn't do this if Chris wasn't in it with me. So I was like, okay, we're doing whole 30 because we're doing it, but I'm not like super psyched to be associated with it or bragging to anybody that I'm doing this thing. Well, that was before today. That was before. And like, listen, I still feel this way, but on January 7th, they sent out an email subject line, a note about yesterday. And I'm like, oh, this should be good. Because if you will recall, so this email came on January 7th, on January 6th, a bunch of racist idiots stormed the Capitol building. So I'm like, and every brand had felt like they needed to make a comment about it. And Axe body spray, Hallmark cards, exactly, whatever, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so many brands had screwed it up royally. Yes. And here's Whole30 who like, I don't love- You don't have faith in that they're going to deliver on this. Yeah. So I'm like, oh my God, what the fuck is Whole30 saying about the attempted coup at the Capitol? And I'm also like, this will be funny. So I opened the email and like, I did laugh because I don't know what else you can do these days besides laugh at this, but listeners, they nailed it. like. Whole 30 decided that they needed to talk about the coup and they fucking nailed it. So opening line, yesterday was day six of the January Whole 30. It was also the day that armed white supremacist insurrectionists attempted to take over the U.S. Capitol building and disrupt the final certification process of a democratic election. That is already, (laughs) already, I mean, already it's, it's comedy, but also like so right. they got the language correct. Okay, okay, keep yes. going. Keep I was going. Like, you you made clear that this election was valid. You made clear that this was a racially motivated act. Like you said, you, you said all insurrection. The right words. You said yes, 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 yes. Totally. And I was like, this is so funny and so right at the same time. And then she, the the woman writing, who's the founder of Whole Thirty, goes on to talk about how she like received this flood of DMs of people being like, "I don't know if I can stick with Whole Thirty right now. Like this is really testing my limits." And and she says, "You might be tempted to return to old habits right now in the name of comfort or security. And if you did, I wouldn't fault you for it." It's like all those like New York Times stories being like, "So dry January didn't happen for you. How about dry February?" <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And. That line, like right up front where she's like, I wouldn't fault you for it, was the first thing where I was like, wow, because everything about the Whole30 brand is very extreme and very strict. And it's like, 
you do not have an excuse to give up. It would fault you for everything. <laughs> yes. It's like you do not have an excuse to give up. And if you mess up even the slightest bit, you start over from day one. It's it's boot camp vibes. And like uh-huh, uh-huh, the, the uh-huh. oft-repeated line of the whole 30 written by the founder is, this is not hard. Like drinking your your coffee black is not hard. Other things are hard, but like this is not actually hard. And so for her it's to be like, like, get to the back of the line. Let's exactly, go. Okay. Exactly. And so for her to be like, no, I understand it might be hard to stick to this diet on this day. Um, was for I was like wow, and she like talks a lot about you know goes on to talk about a lot about how like food is so tied to emotion and that when we are emotions are tested in this way that can be really challenging you fall back on old habits. She says perhaps you woke up this morning wondering if you should continue with your whole thirty or pause it to start again another time. I want you to know that the whole thirty HQ team and I are here to support the decision that is best for you, whatever that looks like. I couldn't believe it. I thought about it for so long after reading this email. I talked to, I made you talk about it forever. I made Chris talk about it forever. There's just so much love and light here that I just <laughs> didn't expect. So I am, yes, yeah, slightly less ashamed to be engaging with the Whole30 brand after having consumed this email from them. And also in the context of having consumed so many fumbles from brands who <laughs> wanted to address the coup. Okay, let's bring on our guest. Should we do it? Let's do it. So we are talking today with Delia Kai, who is a growth and trends editor at BuzzFeed and the author of like just one of the best newsletters in town, D's Links. I first um, <clears throat> discovered discovered Delia when she wrote a piece about our high school in 2017 called The Small Town America I Love is the one I see at football games. And we are both, we both went to Dunlap High School in central Illinois, um, which is just like not a thing I think I've ever said about anybody else who works (laughs) media or media adjacent. And so I I DM'd her immediately and was like, hello, like... (laughs) let's bond about this. And she responded like very nicely and politely, but I'm sure I was like, it's fine. Like calm down. Um, and then I started being the creepy person who was responding to her newsletters. Like I was yeah, a friend. Like you were a friend. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I've kept that up for like a full three years now. And here we are, you know, having her on the podcast. And her newsletter is so great and so widely read and considered like a really important part of the media criticism uh, ecosystem. A hundred percent. Thank you so much to Skillshare for sponsoring today's episode. I was thinking about how for a really long time, I was really intimidated by the idea of online learning and just Mm. like taking courses online and that how quickly my perception of that has shifted because we immediately got comfortable with doing all of our meetings online. And so of course we would learn online too. And that just was like broke down such a barrier to entry for me with things like Skillshare. And then once I got really familiar with Skillshare and started to root around and like understand what it was, I was like, oh, these classes are all broken down into such bite-sized segments where like I was just imagining it being actually just like school, right? Where you go and you sit down for an hour and I would have to do that in front of a computer and not be able to engage. But they break all of these courses down into like three, five, 10 minute segments. So you can 
do them in that short amount of time, which caters to my screwed up brain, which can no longer focus. And but it's also like something you could do over lunch, you know, yes, like exactly. you could be like, I don't, you could be like eating and like actually do this and feel like you're not just like scrolling through whatever you'd be scrolling through otherwise. It's so true. I just, I so impressed by the way that they've thought about this and the way that they've made it really accessible and just really lower the barrier to entry. There are so many good classes that address a lot of things that I have told myself I'm going to learn how to do, whether it's like sewing or something that I've, you and I have both been saying for, I don't know, like eight years that we're going to do, which is learn how to do Evernote, which like... I yes, think we yes. both have, we this, have been saying that <laughs> we both have this dream that Evernote will solve most of the problems in our life, which I do think it could solve a lot of them. And they have this course called productivity with Evernote, one tool for everything. It's written by it's, it's I mean, listen, that that's a sell, <laughs> right? One tool for everything. I'm in. <laughs> exactly. And it's taught by Lindsay C. Holmes. And I will say that I for the longest time thought that I was going to have to read a book to learn how to use Evernote. And I was just not willing to do that. And I was like, when I started looking at this, it was like, oh, because the answer is a video tutorial. And these videos are so quick. They're straight to the point. I feel like I'm not spending all of my time learning how to use something that's going to make me more efficient. Um, And it just feels like, okay, I can finally tackle this. This is so exciting. Skillshare is an online learning community that offers membership with meaning. With so much to explore, real projects to create, and the support of fellow creatives, Skillshare empowers you to accomplish real growth. Skillshare is also incredibly affordable, especially when compared to pricey in-person classes and workshops. An annual subscription is less than $10 a month. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash a thing or two and get a free trial of premium membership. That's Skillshare.com slash a thing or two. As a parent... Do you ever wish someone could just whisper some realistic and trustworthy support in your ear and not make you feel awful for not having all the answers? Well, that's what I'm here for. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, developmental psychologist, parent educator, clinical professor, and I'm a mom. My goal is to make your parenting journey less overwhelming and a lot more joyful. Please join me every Friday for new episodes of Raising Good Humans. Delia, thank you so much for being here. We are so excited to have you. So excited to have you. Delia, I feel like I've been like engaging with you on social media and email for way too long to have not, you know, seen your face in this capacity. And I'm thrilled about (laughs) it. Just absolutely thrilled about it. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. And I mean, Erica, I feel like we've always been destined to like finally meet after finding out that we're both from the same, uh, our our hometown is the same in in central Illinois. And don't really come across that a lot in, no, in New York media. No, I really, <laughs> I really felt like, wow, I thought I knew the two people from my high school that, that lived here and one's right. my brother. So, <laughs> <laughs> which sure is an overstatement, but nonetheless, um, we're so excited to have you and we've been following your work for a long time. And can you tell us like why, why and how you ended up starting these links? Yeah. Um, so I started it, uh, almost five years ago. I was out of J school and I was in my first internship fellowship and it was this kind of it was like a great first job in media in that like my job was really to just read about the industry and and sort of boil everything down into a memo or um, a deck um, to sort of circular around for people who didn't like weren't able to sit around all day reading Neiman Lab Um, it felt very much like almost this like kind of continuing of my education in terms of seeing of like, like, you know, in in J school is very much like these are, 
the principles, this is the history, you know, this is kind of like the actual craft of like how to, how to like write a lead or whatever. But this is my first time really diving into like what people and outlets are doing right now. And with that also came the discovery that there is just so much gossip and drama and humor to be found with what happens in the industry. And so I was just like, wait, uh, you know, like this is, first of all, this is great. I, I love just like the whole cafeteria feeling of, of like, especially the digital media world. And so I just wanted to learn about it as much as possible. And I was also sort of aware that like my, my fellowship at the time, it was a lot of writing, you know, these like corporate memos and decks. And I was like, you know, there's so much that's funny and there's so much to be snarky about, about like what I'm reading. And, and I, you know, would sort of spend lunchtime explaining it and, and sort of getting really excited about it to the other fellows that like I, I was with. And they were, they all had these like real reporter and editorial fellowships. And so they were like, you know, that's really interesting. Like I, I sort of just don't have time to follow that. Um, but you know, your ex- explanation of it just really gives me a clear idea of, you know, what this drama is about or whatever. And so I started these links on Tiny Letter because it, it sort of checked the box in a lot of ways of what I needed at the time where it was like, you know, I, I felt I definitely had this like inferiority complex because I was like, I don't have like a real reporting, like internship or fellowship. I'm just, you know, I'm just a corporate shill, you know? <laughs> so I was like, I need something to like, I need an outlet to, to write about, to just even get myself into the discipline of, of writing and formulating an opinion every day. And then it was also just a really good outlet to sort of put these thoughts that I was kind of testing out on, on friends at lunchtime with and, and, and sort of boil it down into a more formal format. And I think also to like stop spamming their own G chats. Cause I think they were like, okay, this is great. But I'm now reporting I'm out a story right now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm going to go back to work. <laughs> so it really started as like, okay, I'm just going to make it this like newsletter. Um, Cause you know, this was like 2015. So I was reading a lot about the first really big newsletters coming around. I was reading today in tabs every day, you know, and I was like, oh, I could do something like this, but make it funny. And I would just send it to my friends. Um, Can you explain and, and what of, today in tabs well, is? Because it's, oh my God. it's such a yes. thing and it's just come back and <laughs> I feel like it's a good, <laughs> good thing Entree to yeah, into all this. Yeah. I feel like today in tabs was, was really part of my like, post-college education about media because it's written by uh, Rusty Foster. He's just like super, super plugged in. And he would write a daily newsletter that was basically a collection of like all the links to like the discourse in terms of like this big story is happening. Here's what everyone's saying about it. Here's, you know, people who are criticizing it and sort of tie it all up like with a lot of like jokes too. And so that actually really gave me a way to sort of navigate like, oh, here's kind of how, like, here's how you formulate a take and here's how takes can be received. And, and also just sort of getting a, a map of like kind of the biggest voices in media at the time. And he did this every day and like would experiment and, and bring on interns and like do cartoons. It was just like such a joy to read every day at lunchtime. And then uh, I think at I think at the beginning of 2016, he was just like, I got to focus on my, like my, my real like job. And so he put it on hiatus and it's been four years. And with the start of this year, he relaunched it on Substack, of course. 
And it feels like such a return to form in some ways, but it's, it's weird to read it now and sort of know a little bit more like, oh, like I know what Rusty's talking about now, now that it's been a few years and, and I have more experience in the industry. But I guess the best way I would describe it is sort of like, like the lady whistle down of like digital media um, because everyone I know reads it and, and it'll be something that we'll, we'll discuss. And so it's like this meta analysis of, of Rusty's own, own takes and everything. Well, but, it's also just such an interesting time because, and an interesting time to have taken a break because I think like media criticism and media analysis became a more popular mainstream thing before yeah. Trump, but it like really became everybody, everybody had to know about media literacy once Trump entered office because of, you know, the, the obvious. And so it, it's just like reached this fever pitch. And now, you know, not that it's going to stop because Trump won't be our president anymore, but it's an interesting time to have, for him to have taken a break. And, and uh, also nice that like so many other voices like yours sort of surfaced during that time. And it's become just like more generally mainstream, I mm-hmm. think, to like keep up on um, what's happening in that landscape. Whereas like it, it like, you know, a decade ago, it maybe felt like industry news in a way that it yes. doesn't really right. anymore. Yeah. Right. You mentioned that when he came back, he was like, came back on Substack, of course. And now you are also on Substack and have been for a while. Can you talk about that and like the sort of substackification of the, of the digital landscape? Oh, yes. This is my favorite thing to talk about. Um, I do have a sense that this is something you're pretty into. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They've totally changed the media industry, I think, in a way. And it's it was like the biggest story of, of 2020, I think. Can you talk about that a little bit for people who aren't as entrenched in in this discourse? Like basically what it means for people to be paying for newsletters in one place and then consu- and then not paying for content elsewhere because they're consuming ads and how that all sort of shifts things around? I would say the majority of both traditional media and, and digital media makes money by selling ads. And to be able to do that, you either have to have a big enough audience for that to be interesting to advertisers. Um, and so it's sort of a question of like how like how big can you scale up your, uh, your newspaper readership or, or your magazine readership? Or you have to be like niche enough. And often that really just translates into like, you have to have an audience that is rich enough for advertisers to pay attention to. And there's just sort of, and and that's always been, that's been the model for so long, but with Facebook and Google kind of really being the place where advertisers will go to first, instead of like, you know, taking out a big ad in the New York times, the amount of money that um, there's left to go around uh, and, and spend with with uh, media outlets has totally shrunk, and so the, I think so. So that's kind of been, I think, the biggest story in terms of digital media in, in the past like decade or two. And so you've seen a lot of really great places like the Hairpin or the All, who were that were you know putting out really great content and stories that you wouldn't find anywhere else. But because like you know maybe the audience was just like either not big enough or not attractive enough to advertisers, even if they had a really devoted, like loyal following, these places were just not able to make enough money. And the other thing too, like, so one of my first jobs after my fellowship was working on a a marketing team for a magazine. And I, and the other big takeaway I had from that was that when you're relying on advertisers, it's like you start over at the, you start over every year um, if not every quarter in terms of like, okay, now 
we like have to make all the deals all over again because like it's like a blank are, slate. Yes, ex- exactly. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, we got to like do this all over again every single year um, just to like make, you know, the same amount of money, if not more. And it's, it's very stressful. <laughs> um, and you're very much like the power is really within the advertiser's court, right? So, well, and it shapes the content to an extent too, right? Be- whether that's yes. just because you know people are going to click on Kardashian content, whether you want to publish it or not, and you have to hit those numbers or because you are beholden to the advertiser's interests in some way, right? Armani's got to be on yeah. the cover because Armani bought this huge ad package. Yeah, exactly. And you, you even see it, I think, with um, the really like like the kind of clickbaity sort of iteration of the internet where where it's like you see content that's being put out there or articles where it's like either you know the headline's not going to deliver or it's sort of very like lurid and, and shocking and and it's all part of this you know strategy to get as many clicks as possible because clicks translates into ad dollars because with digital media it's like it it you know it's not like with with print where it's like you buy one Armani ad um, and it's a set price with with digital media it's even more so like it's like advertisers have all this power because they're like, I'll only pay for as many people who actually like see or, or click on this. And so it, it puts an enormous pressure on, on outlets to sort of be meeting the, those standards all the time. And then there's the other side of the Substack like story that basically, you know, so many journalists and, and editors are defecting to, or at least if not defecting, like starting their own revenue streams by launching a newsletter. Right. So it's sort of like, you know, the whole advertiser model has made media as a whole so unstable because, you know, it's basically like what advertisers want is what outlets will invest in. And so, so I think a lot of people have been really attracted to Substack's premise where, you know, you as a writer, editor, creator, you know, you're only beholden to your readers for, for income and, and support. And, and the sort of other side is is that I think a lot of people are seeing the way that there's this shift in, um, like, there's this new norm that people are willing to pay for stuff they read on the internet, which was, you know, totally not the case, even even as, as I feel like when I started, uh, when I left college, where people were still like, digital ads, not sure, not convinced, you know? <laughs> um, and, and so I think people will see are looking at like the, the success of, you know, like the New York Times adding millions of subscribers every every year and sort of them setting the standard of like, yeah, it's super normal to pay for a digital membership or a digital subscription service. And so why, you know, if that's okay for, if people will do that to support institutions they believe in, you know, they're very likely willing to do that to support the writers that, that they really believe in and probably feel even closer to. and and want to support more directly. Thank you so much to Kula for sponsoring today's episode. Um, I can't remember when we talked about this this on the podcast, but we talked about how the skin barrier is like going to be the new hot topic of conversation because basically everybody doing their like six step skincare routines is stripping so much with these like acid this and this exfoliating that. And we're taking away all of the things that protect our skin um, and keep it, you know, moist and dewy and all the things we want it to be. I do feel like every night it's just a question of me, like which harsh stripping agent am I going to apply to my skin tonight? Like which one did I do last night and which one do I want to do tomorrow? And have I done it three days in a row and I should probably take a day off? 
Blair, I love it. Um, You know Kula because they pioneered healthy sun protection, but now they have actually just launched an organic skincare line that is your skin's first line of protection, keeping moisture and nutrients in and modern daily and environmental stressors out. They are supporting your skin's natural barrier to help fight modern day skin aggressors like blue light, toxins, dry air, and even your lifestyle. Kula's new Great Barrier Cream Fortifying Moisturizer harnesses the healing power of the sea with organic ingredients like sea kelp and blue algae to boost hydration and help strengthen your skin's natural barrier. Their new Vital Rush Skin Renewal Serum revitalizes stressed skin with an organic blend of plant power ingredients. Combining the energizing properties of goji berry with vitamin-rich camu camu extract, these concentrated nutrients help renew fatigued skin and our favorite, it's Kula's award-winning Sun Silk Drops. These fan-favorite sheer drops provide lightweight, broad-spectrum SPF 30 protection and Kula's full-spectrum 360-degree technology to help mitigate the effects of blue light, IR, and pollution. So you can use any of these alone or blend them all with your favorite moisturizer or foundation and get that barrier back in business. If you want to give your skin what it's really craving, check out the new Kula Organic Skincare on Kula.com. They even give you 10% off your first order with the code a thing or two. Head to Kula.com, use the code a thing or two to get 10% off your first order and check out their organic skincare line. Thank you so much to Best Fiends for sponsoring today's episode. Claire, I can't, I can't remember how much we've told you about this, but I've recently started spending a little time playing phone games. Um, You're a gamer. I'm a ga- well, and that's what Thomas says. He's like, oh, you're a gamer. I didn't know you were a gamer, <laughs> like in such a teasing, mocking way, but it's become part of my morning routine. Wow. Um, in that um, when my alarm goes off, Thomas mm-hmm. like loves to snooze, but I hate the snooze button and I hate like whatever. And so I've just like been getting up and, you know, I check my Instagram and Twitter and mm-hmm. then I check the New York Times like the uh, app. And when I read through everything that's on that homepage, then I allow myself the rest of the time until I n- nudge him to play yep. a couple games, which wow. also means that he like always wakes up and will look over and be like, you're gaming. You're 100% <laughs> gaming. You're gaming in bed. Yeah. And that's, you know, hey, that's what that's what I need right now. I'm sorry. I need like a little bit of a, like a head clearing thing. I think we were talking about this recently that like I used to give Chris shit for gaming all of the time. And now given how much we look at Twitter and Instagram, I'm like, bring back the gaming. That actually, game. Yeah, exactly. Let's um, game. Best Fiends is an extremely addictive and fun game. It is the can't put it down mobile puzzle game that's free to download. I have been playing. It has very cute characters that definitely, obviously, Erica appeal to your. You know, um, I love a lovable character. What do I love more than a lovable character? I I have to say, I love the lovable characters, but I love the baddies even more. Like because they're just cute baddies. Um, I, you know what? You're right. I do love a cute baddie perhaps yeah. even more than I love a lovable character. <laughs> I love a cute baddie. So, okay. Best Fiends is a total phenomenon. It has over a hundred million downloads. It's five-star rated. So there's this whole cast of fiends who help you solve each level. And they really, you do become sort of like, you feel affectionate towards them because they show you how to play the game and they're like helping you get to where you need to go next. And they help you defeat the slugs. Those are the slimy, cute baddies. Um, we love a personal assistant. Yeah. <laughs> we love a PA. <laughs> the fun never ever ends. There are five thousand puzzle levels and counting, um, and they just keep adding more and more. And they like and they add them based on user feedback too. And they're just constantly updating, which is really impressive. So go ahead, download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. I do feel so 
I think like a lot of people excited about this move towards subscription-driven publishing because of how it addresses, you know, underserved audiences, underserved topics, so so many of the things that that you just reviewed for us. But I'm curious, like, what are the potential pitfalls of the subscription-driven model? Like, what are the things that are that are going to be challenges with that? Yeah, I mean, I I think back to there was a really good piece that Cleo Chang wrote for the Columbia Journalism Review about about the sort of Substack. Uh, phenomenon in, in that she gave this really great example uh, of this journal's Patrice Peck's um, newsletter on Substack. Um, and it's called Coronavirus News for Black Folks. And the piece really digs into the fact that, you know, by the sort of very journalistic nature of, of Patrice's work, as well as the audience that she wants to reach, you know, that doesn't really fit in with the Substack model of like charge all your readers $5 a month to access this information, right? So I think, I think the personal like newsletter subscription model doesn't always work for like, you know, every kind of journalism, every kind of work. Um, and I you know, also like certain types of journalism are, is, is very expensive to produce and also to sort of like ensure in, in the way that you want a good company lawyer on your side, right? Yeah. Um, you can't then, like, break the Harvey Weinstein story in a Substack, but uh, that oh was God, absolutely. <laughs> I thought that was one of the most interesting things Anna Weiner recently wrote for the New Yorker, a big yeah. piece about Substack, and talked about these fellowships that they've introduced. A, a facet of which is a, a like a really huge legal fund where these uh, writers who have made partnerships with Substack have the protection of a legal fund. Um, and I was like, oh, that's genius. At some point, like they're probably gonna like like hire some fact checkers, some right. editors, you know, maybe like someone to help you like market your newsletter. And I just, I'm like waiting for the moment when everyone's like, wait, this is a publisher. A publisher. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We know this model. We've seen it before. <laughs> Where have we seen it? Mm. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, what are the other media trends that you've been seeing that you're excited about? I'm sort of really excited about the way that like, I think we'll move back to making like like certain sites um, more of like a destination visit in that like, because I think the other like main change that we've seen over the past decade is that, you know, no one expects you to remember to type in like newyorker.com to read it every day. There's, you know, the New Yorker will find you. They'll send you push notifications or you know, they'll be on Instagram and Twitter and they'll send you newsletters, right? Um, and so it's like, you know, wherever you are, the news will find you um, and you don't have to, you don't ever have to type in that URL again. But I think with both just the chaotic nature of, of breaking news and the past few years overall in, in that like, you know, there's just this breakneck pace of news coming at you all the time on top of the analysis on top of the takes. I think that in addition to the fact that, you know, most of us are isolated at home, it, it almost feels like being like held hostage a little bit where it's like, you can't get away from the news, you're home, you're not really doing a whole lot else anyway. And so all of those, like the, the pushes in a way are kind of coming at you and, and make you feel like you're never done. You're never like done reading the news. I think newsletters have been really attractive in some ways because at least you can like read through it, delete it, and you're done. It's not like with Twitter, you know, 
you get on Twitter and you're just like, it could be an hour. It could be for five hours. You never know. But I, I'm sort of, so I'm sort of interested in seeing the way that people will be kind of drawing a, a harder line between like, I'm going to be on and engaged and, and reading the internet and the line between that and like, I'm going to do anything else with my life right now. And so I sort of am curious to see like when the pendulum will swing the other way where it's like, people are like, oh, I don't want the news to find me. Like, I'll find you. Don't worry. Are there any writers and reporters who you always read, no matter what they're writing about? Yeah. Um, so I like, I wrote a few names and obviously there's like so more, you know, too many to name, but, uh, I think Taylor Lawrence just like broke this big story today about how Snapchat is like making millionaires of certain creators who will take a chance on their new TikTok kind of situation going on. Obviously I haven't read it yet, (laughs) (laughs) but my mind was like, Ooh, okay. Like I, I feel like whatever Taylor is writing about, everyone needs to know about I really enjoyed Doreen St. Felix's reviews of, of like shows and movies. I feel like I was talking to someone the other day where it's like between Twitter and the pandemic, we're like, we all think we're TV critics now, but I think her perspective on, on shows and movies that either, you know, both ones I've never heard of and also ones that I'm like obsessed with is always very illuminating. Um, and then like someone who I feel like I should always be getting more hype than he is, is Kwa Su at the New Yorker. Mm. Um, just because like, like the man has incredible range. Like he's either writing about like poster culture or like fungi. And I'm always like, man, like, I didn't know you also knew about this stuff, you know, but, but every time I like flip open and see something from him, I'm like, okay, even if I don't have any clue about the topic, I'm like, I got to read what Huasu thinks about mushrooms, you know? (laughs) Totally. I wanted to talk to you about um, the fact that in Dee's links, you've written some about tokenization and identity and outsiderness. And I was thinking specifically of this critique you did of a, of a marker profile of Nick Kwa, who has Hot Pod and is like basic, I guess he's the podcast critic for New York Mag now. Is that fair? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so this, there's this quote that I'm going to quote back to you, which is, I'm sorry, Delia. Um, <laughs> if one day someone wrote about me and my passion project turned extremely lucrative business and framed it as how a non-white daughter of Chinese immigrants from uh, Illinois and not even the Chicago adjacent part somehow succeeded in media, I, I will tell you right now that it would be the worst day of my life. Um, and I just thought that that was like just such a pointed and helpful way of looking at you know, this profile and all the ways it did Nick Qua disservice. And I was just wondering how you think about identity and bringing that to the topics you cover um, or how you cover them. Um, I, I really thought for a long time that like coming from a not news literate household, coming from, you know, an immigrant back, or like my parents are immigrants. So coming from that background where like English wasn't my first language or it wasn't my only first language. And also just sort of, uh, you know, coming from the Midwest where I, I kind of wasn't really exposed to so many things that, that friends in New York um, sort of take for granted. All of, all of that was such a culture shock to me. Like as soon as I moved out to DC and, and sort of like started, started in media, because I think for a long time, I just, it, it, was, it was one of those, it was very much like a, oh, I didn't know, I didn't know this kind of like series of revelations. And yeah. for a really long time, I thought it was sort of this impediment because, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know what, the, um, you know, 
what the version of this certain outlet was, or I didn't really know the, the history of, of these writers or, or whatever. And so I felt like I was really like trying to catch up with, with all that, the body of knowledge that I think people who grew up getting the Sunday Times delivered to their houses would, would just sort of know. But I think over time, and especially recently, I've sort of realized that like, as a result, I sort of have like a little, like a little spidey sense around some things that don't sit right, whether it's, it's sort of, you know, all those like Trump voter, like let's meet real America pieces, um, or, or whether it's, you know, a, a kind of poorly executed, uh, piece on what bubble tea is. Um, I think sort of being able to recognize that like, oh, I feel kind of sensitive about this and, you know, moving from the thought process of like, is it just me being sensitive to like talking to other people who, who also feel this way to kind of figure out like, oh, actually this is, this is a blind spot that maybe the outlet or, or the writers behind this, like didn't really see. And, and it's like, oh, but like, I see that. So I'm starting, I think, to see my position as, as someone who has felt very much like an outsider in, in all these like various definitions to sort of be like, oh, but now I can like, that means like I can kind of catch some of these things that, that other people also might not see because they're like too close to, or they're in it, or, you know, they've never, they've never had their culture's cuisine talked about in this way or whatever. Yeah, totally. How do you, how do you learn to trust your takes when it comes to, and you know, you, you do uh, offer a lot of criticism and, you know, part of the reason you're so successful at this is because your takes are usually right. How do you learn to trust that you're at the very least going to be able to defend those takes if somebody comes back at you about them? Yeah. So uh, I would say like, like, I think part of starting these links was to figure out like how to have a take and how to like make it good. Um, and so much, if not all of that was really just hearing, was writing something and hearing from friends on, on what they thought either after the fact or, or even just sort of like texting around and being like, this piece is kind of weird, right? So, so I, it was very much like a feedback loop, I think, kind of honed by being able to talk about, talk things over with friends who are also really interested in media. Um, I guess that, I feel like that was like a huge plus of, of going to J school is that like now I have, you know, all these friends in the industry who, who I, I can sort of innately trust to be like, is this like a weird take or, you know, am, am I right about this? So it's, it's funny because it sort of almost reminds me of like being, being in, in J school at, at the University of Missouri. And we would sort of, we were all told that we should have our own blogs. And I think the way that our professors thought about this was that like, oh, you know, everyone should have a blog to showcase their work. But mm. with us all being, you know, like 20 year olds with our own drama, it, just became a way to, for all of us to like publicly air like our own drama or like write about people we didn't like or criticize like our, our like frenemies work or whatever. It was kind of like a very micro lesson in like, I think like the digital media sort of cafeteria in a way, because it was like, okay, if you're going to say that like so-and-so's essay, like if you're going to shade so-and-so on your blog, you have to see them tomorrow. And like, you have to like, you know, imagine what that's going to be like. So what you say has to be defensible in, in that way. <laughs> you know? So, so I think, 
Yeah. So I think it was like a kind of a combination of, of that kind of Chinese school dynamic where it was like, well, if I'm going to talk shit about this person, I also have to deal with seeing them tomorrow. And so, you know, what does that mean for how I moderate this or whatever? And then it I has think to be also, like intellectually sound shit that you're talking. Right. It has to be like, oh, yeah. I have a problem with your argument and not like, <laughs> I don't like you. And this is my thinly veiled <laughs> attempt to say that. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Can we finish by having you highlight some of your favorite media scandals in recent memory? <laughs> oh, I had a lot of fun thinking about this. Um, I would say my two big ones, I guess, mostly in recent memory are the Jeffrey Tubin's Zoom dick incident. That felt like... That just felt... I predicted that one. Like, I was like, if she doesn't say that, what's she going to say? Like, <laughs> right? I don't know how that has to be. It just feels iconic. It does. Yeah, it feels it, iconic. It's, it's amazing. Because it felt like a gift, you know, given <laughs> to us. A dick it in a did. box, really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I was, that was just like a fun day, right? And then I think the, the other like scandal that it's sort of like, I think both of these speak to me or like resonate with me in a way, in similar ways. And that I also thought it was really interesting when Glenn Greenwald left uh, The Intercept to sort of like go be a lone ranger and start his own Substack, And he just sort of went from like, pretty like like pugilistic I think as a, a Twitter presence in general to like just outright like being in everyone's mentions and just saying like really crazy stuff and I was like whoa uh because and and th- I just thought that was funny because last year I, I wrote like just sort of like a funny piece about like men in media that I would want to see like like have beef with each other <laughs> um, I remember that. It was a great it, installment. It was wonderful. Right. It, it, it was, was really, it was, it was a good fantasy. So much fun. Yeah. It was so much fun because I think at the end of the day, it's like, it's so interesting to watch the men mess up or like fight with each other because at the end of the day, you know, they're going to be fine. They're going to have <laughs> these great jobs and these big contracts and their careers will march on. And so there's, it, it sort of feels like low stakes in the way where, where I think sometimes with scandals, especially, you know, around women, um, around people of color, there's always a little bit of sadness with those because you're like, somebody's career is really going to suffer from this. Yep. But, but yeah, so I, I guess like, that's why the, the, the zoom dick thing was so funny and sort of like Glenn being in everyone's mentions was also really funny because it was like, you know, these, these white men will be okay. Right. So we're just going to enjoy the scene that's like happening. That's right. That's right. Delia, this has been so lovely and wonderful. And we're just thrilled to have you on and to like get to see your face in this capacity. It's just wonderful. Just great. Thank um, you for having me. This is very fun. I'm like, I'm like sweating. So I'm like having a good time. <laughs> good. I, I sweat Same. when I podcast too. Um, <laughs> right. Anybody who isn't getting these links already, sign up. Duh. Um, and that's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. You can listen to us wherever podcasts are found like Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. If you have ideas for the show or want to advertise, email podcast at a thing or two HQ.com. Find show notes and much more on a thing or two HQ.com.